The following audio is from Grace City Church in San Diego, California. More information about Grace City Church is available at gracecitysd.com. In the second year of the reign of Nebuchadnezzar, Nebuchadnezzar had dreams. His spirit was troubled and his sleep left him. Then the, the king commanded that the magicians, the enchanters, the sorcerers, and the Chaldeans be summoned to tell the king his dreams. So they came in and stood before the king. And the king said to them, I had a dream, and my spirit is troubled to know the dream. Then the Chaldeans said to the king in Aramaic, O king, live forever. Tell your servants the dream, and we will show the interpretation. The king answered and said to the Chaldeans, the word from me is firm. If you do not make known to me the dream and its interpretation, you shall be torn limb from limb, and your houses shall be laid in ruin. But if you show the dream and its interpretation, you shall, you shall receive from me gifts and rewards and great honor. Therefore, show me the dream and its interpretation. They answered a second time and said, let the king tell his servants the dream and we will show its interpretation. The king answered and said, I know with certainty that you are trying to gain time because you see that the word from me is firm. If you do not make the dream known to me, there is but one sentence for you. You have agreed to speak lying and corrupt words before me till the times change. Therefore, tell me the dream and I shall know that you can show me its interpretation. The Chaldeans answered the king and said, there is not a man on earth who can meet the king's demand. For no great and powerful king has asked such a thing of any magician or enchanter or Chaldean. The thing that the king asks is difficult and no one can show it to the king except the gods whose dwelling is not with flesh. Because of this, the king was angry and very furious and commanded that all the wise men of Babylon be destroyed. So the decree went out, and the wise men were about to be killed, and they sought Daniel and his companions to kill them. Then Daniel replied with prudence and discretion to Arioch, the captain of the king's guard, who had gone out to kill the, the wise men of Babylon. He declared to Arioch, the king's captain, why is the decree of the king so urgent? Then Arioch made the matter known to Daniel, and Daniel went in and requested the king to appoint him a time that he might show the, king the, show the interpretation to the king. Then Daniel went to his house and made the matter known to Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, his companions, and told them to seek mercy from God, the God of heaven concerning this mystery so that Daniel and his companions might not be destroyed with the rest of the wise men of Babylon. Then the mystery was revealed to Daniel in a, in a vision of the night. Then Daniel blessed the God of heaven. Daniel answered and said, Blessed be the name of God forever and ever, to whom belongs wisdom and might. He changes times and seasons. He removes kings and sets up kings. He gives wisdom to the wise and knowledge to those who have understanding. He, he reveals deep and hidden things. He knows what is in the darkness, and the light dwells with him. To you, O God of my fathers, I give thanks and praise, 
For you have given me wisdom and might and have now made known to me what we asked of you. For you have made known to us the king's matter. All right, let's pray. Father God, thank you for your word uh, that we can read, that we can be instructed by. Lord, um, that we can see the, your mighty deeds and, and hear of your track record of faithfulness um, throughout history, Lord. Your promises, Lord, you're faithful to them, and you do as your word says. Um, we acknowledge who you are today and thank you. Um, we come to you uh, as, as sinners. We've fallen so short of your mark, yet your grace, your unmerited grace covers us through Jesus, through his death, burial, and resurrection on the cross. We're just so thankful this morning. Uh, as a church, as Grace City, we just want to thank you for all you're doing in our midst. Uh, we lift up those with illnesses, financial needs, those dealing with loss, um, those experiencing pain. Uh, we're just reminded uh, through this book of Daniel, through Pastor Randall's teaching, how we're exiles in this land. Strengthen us and enable us uh, to live with purpose um, as, we see, as we seek to follow you and um, your plans that you have for us, the future that you've prepared for us. So as we delve into Daniel, Lord, uh, just lift Pastor Randall up. Lord, give us teachable hearts, ears to hear, and we lift up Randall just that you would enable him today. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. If this is your first time here, my name is Randall, I'm pastor of Grace City, and um, it's good to see you this morning. Uh, I just want to welcome you if this is your first time here. Um, we have been going through a series, we just started last week in the book of Daniel, and the title of this series is called Living as Exiles. And what we've been looking at over the past three weeks before that is in the book of Jeremiah, how Jeremiah talks about the people of Israel and how they had gone and become exiles in a foreign land, Babylon. And in that time, uh, God directs them to live faithfully as exiles in there. See, one of the things that we uh, sometimes want to do is we want to uh, kind of push away from the environment that we're in, uh, but could God use you right where you're at? Could God use you uh, to live faithfully for him right where he's placed you? And so we've been looking at that uh, from Jeremiah 29, and then uh, Daniel lived during the same time as Jeremiah. And so now we're jumping into this, knowing that he's getting much of his directives from uh, what they would have known from Jeremiah. So we are studying uh, this book here today. Uh, last week, I do, do want to highlight something. Last week, we, we did announce that uh, Jonas Bakel is our new youth and young adult director. And so, Jonas, real quick, just raise your hand, something. There you go. So make sure you talk with Jonas, but Jonas is on staff with us, and so very thankful to have Jonas. Uh, now, today our text is from Daniel 2, 1 through 23, and so it's a long text, and we're going to be reading through uh, the, the first six chapters of Daniel and really studying this, uh, because what this is, is is a helpful directive on how to live faithfully um, in cultures that aren't Christian, aren't focused on God. And so uh, Jerusalem, where they were just coming from, would have been 
God-centered. It would have been getting their directives from what we would see as the Old Testament. Um, now they're brought into this new land, but there's the directive is the same to live for God, but to live that way in a, in a land that's much different. And so for us, um, our, the, the times we're living in is, are described as post-Christian, post-Christian. So the ideas that reign and rule today are not going to be based on what we would find in Scripture. But God is calling us to live faithfully in this time. And so what we're going to see is Daniel 2, 1 through 23, is this message of faithfully living in the tension. Faithfully living in the tension. Now, over the past four weeks, as we've looked at the book of Jeremiah and are now studying the book of Daniel, the question is, why? Why are we doing that? And what we've seen throughout church history is that many times when the church lives in an environment that isn't God-centered, Christ-centered, and it's happened throughout history, that the church looks back on books like Daniel and also books like Revelation to help us to know that in the midst of the tension, there's still a plan. God's still at work. See, these books are very practical when it comes to answering the question of not only why, but how. How do we do this? How do you and I live faithfully as an exile? Well, if you're just joining us over the past uh, few weeks, I would encourage you to go listen to some of the messages we've already gone through. But what we've seen is that throughout the Bible, both in the Old and New Testament, it refers to believers as exiles in this world. The New Testament tells us that we are citizens of heaven. And in the book of Daniel, we see him and his friends living in the tension as exiles in Babylon. But they are still holding firmly to God and to a biblical worldview. Now, how did Daniel do it? Well, like I said, many scholars believe that Daniel looked at the letter of Jeremiah as a roadmap to living faithfully in the tension. We see him reading from the book of Jeremiah in Daniel 9.2. And so you fast forward to chapter 9, verse 2. He talks about how he was reading from the book of Jeremiah. See, and Daniel wasn't alone. Living faithfully in the tension is all throughout the Bible. We see this in the life of Joseph. Uh, Joseph was banished from his family, um, lives as an exile in Egypt, um, exercises wisdom in seasons of his life, And eventually, Joseph's wisdom uh, from God allows him to live into his calling, and he becomes a civic leader in Egypt. We see in the book of Esther. Through Esther, God demonstrates wisdom by listening to the counsel of her elders. So God puts Mordecai in her life, and then by acting in faith through Esther, She saves a people. See, Esther wisely uses her influence to affect social change for the Jewish people that are in a foreign land. And so God works through Esther. God works through Joseph. And like I said, in the book of Revelation, John is writing in exile in the Isle of Patmos. And he writes down a revelation that he receives, which includes a vision of the seven churches of Asia Minor. 
And in those different uh, writings to the seven churches, he reminds them to exercise discernment as a community of believers. You see, they were taken from their homeland um, where the government, the arts, all the culture believed in the God of the Bible, Jerusalem, and they were taken into a city and a culture that was opposed to the biblical God. But what about our culture today? Well, according to David Kinnaman, and we've talked about this book before, Faithful Ex- Faith for Exiles, and Mark Matlock, in this book, uh, we see that um, screens, the thing that we carry around in our pocket every day, has had a profound impact on our daily lives. And so what it does, and we can attribute this to uh, just the way that the algorithms are designed and everything that is in our culture today, but it pushes the tyranny of the urgent. Uh, it frames and filters reality. We see that humor has changed because of the things that we see on YouTube and everything that's around us. It's, it, humor has changed to very snarky, hasn't it? It's very cynical. I even see it in my son. Like, he'll say something. I'm like, that's weird. Like, it's just very, like, cutting, hurtful. We have an overloading of our choices, filling our time and distracting our minds, make, maybe making people even more image conscious. See, if one of the deep questions of human life is this, how should I live, which... Christians and non-Christians ask, where do we discover the answers? Where do we get and consume those answers? Because if we were look at, looking at the world that we live in today, we would get answers like this. Sex is for personal fulfillment and self-denial is unhealthy. Follow your heart. Something is true if it feels true. If you follow your dreams, you'll be happy. We see a world where family members just make fun of each other all the time. Workplaces are full of people that are just dysfunctional, right? All of these things are being thrown at us on a daily basis. And it's contributing to the stats. Three out of every five young adults say they are stressed out. Seven out of every 10 say they are concerned about the future, See, many times what we see is that for not just young people, but people my age and older, we are just so focused and dazzled by what's on the screens that we aren't looking for much wisdom in our lives. And so even the questions of how should I live doesn't cross our minds because we're too busy binging our latest Netflix show, taking in the next Insta-like looking for the next filter on some social media platform. And friends, we've fallen into the trap of foolishness. Foolishness. Now let's ask again, how do I live life as a believer in an unbelieving world? How do I live as a believer in a society where many many of the things that are being thrown at me on a, a daily basis are repellent to my faith? And that's where we come to in Daniel 2, 1 through 23. To give some background here, Daniel uh, was written uh, in the 6th century BC. 
Uh, Daniel, in particular, um, and his friends were young men of, of noble blood. We see this prophecy back in Isaiah 39, verse 7, that says this, this would happen. Uh, he was captured by King Nebuchadnezzar, lost his nobility in that, lost his name, lost his ability to, uh, in the future, have a family, and he served in Babylon for 70 years. And what's interesting when we get to Daniel 2 is that starting in Daniel 2, verse 4, all the way to 7, uh, verse 28, it's not written in Hebrew anymore. So we see the, the first part in the first section and the last section written particularly in Hebrew, but this is written in Aramaic. Um, and this shift has puzzled scholars uh, for years. But one commentator, uh, a- Andrew Hill, says this. He says, it would only be logical for the wise men to communicate with a language common to all, since the wise men are a racially and ethnically diverse group. What is this saying? It's this, that when the people of Israel were back in Jerusalem, They were living in their own little sheltered world. But God told them that they were supposed to go reach the ends of the earth. They were supposed to be a light to the world. And so in the midst of exile, God is going to work in a way that they're not expecting. God has sent them to a people where everyone at that time was not speaking Hebrew, but they were speaking Aramaic. Because that was Babylon what was the, the, the ruler of many nations. And so in Babylon, they spoke Aramaic. And, and so this is written in Aramaic. Why? Because in a, in a diverse, pluralistic, polyist, polytheistic society like Babylon, there is a missional nature to this section that intentionally communicates to all people that God is a God of all people. He's a God of all nations. He's a God for anyone wherever their background is. And so this section was to communicate to people who would have spoken in Aramaic that this is for you just as much as it is for Daniel and his friends. See, God is a God for all people. God is a God of the impossible. And he is the God above all gods. Daniel Aiken says, in Daniel 1.17, we are told that God gave Daniel understanding and visions and dreams of every kind. Now, in chapter 2, we see how valuable this gift from God is. It is a gift that will save not only Daniel's life, but also the life of his friends and the lives of all the wise men, enchanters, astrologers, and sorcerers in Babylon. Does God care for the people that are currently outside of the faith. Yes. God cared for the enchanters, the astrologers, the sorcerers in Babylon. And it's through the faith of Daniel that we see God saving them. And so how does Daniel live faithfully in the tension? Well, number one, he discerned the culture. Number two, engage the moment. And number three, waited upon God's response. So I'm giving you all three from the text. Discern the culture, engage the moment, waited upon God's response. 
And so the first one is discern the culture. And we're going to look at verses 3 through 6 and then 10 through 11. We're going to skip down. So first one, 3 through 6. And the king said to them, I had a dream, and my spirit is troubled to know the dream. When the Chaldeans said to the king of, in Aramaic, O king, live forever. Tell your servants the dream, and we will show the interpretation. The king answered and said to the Chaldeans, the word from me is firm. If you do not make known to me the dream and its interpretation, you shall be torn limb from limb and your houses shall be laid in ruins. But if you show the dream and its interpretation, you shall receive from me gifts and rewards and great honor. Therefore, show me the dream and its interpretation. Skip down to verse 10. The Chaldeans answered the king and said, there is not a man on earth who can meet the king's demand. For no great and powerful king has asked such a thing of any magician or enchanter or Chaldean. The thing that the king asks is difficult, and no one can show it to the king except the gods whose dwelling is not with flesh. Okay, and so what we see here is an impossible situation. The king has had a dream and is now looking for the meaning. It says that the dream troubled him. And so this word for troubled means to be disturbed, uh, beat insistently. Um, That's what it means. It's just like, it it just can't leave his mind. He couldn't sleep. Now within the Babylonian culture, dreams were important because they believed that dreams held the answer to the future. If the king didn't understand the dream, then he wouldn't be able to prepare for the future. And so he turns to his magicians, enchanters, and the Chaldeans. And what we see here is that that was a common practice for him, right? But there's also some suspicion about whether or not they were telling the truth. He'd probably done this before. He'd probably had some dreams and asked for answers. But the answers that he was getting weren't correct, And so this time, he's putting a new stipulation on there. He's telling, I don't want to just hear the interpretation, but I want you to tell me what the dream is. That's the stipulation here. Now, let's go back in the life of Daniel and his friends. It says in Daniel 1 that they were, um, in verse 3, they were separated, isolated, right, from the rest. They they were taught the ways of Babylon, verse 4. They were immersed into the culture, verse 5. And they were also giving that that identity shift. And so they were given new names. Remember that from last week? They had to live in the tension. Now, what you see all through the book of Daniel is that their names kind of switch and flip-flop. Do you see that? So it's like we got Hananiah, Mishael, uh, Azariah. Here, we see that here. But then in chapter 3, we see Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. We see Daniel called Belteshazzar in certain parts. Why is he called Daniel here and then Belteshazzar here? Now, the Bible is very intentional on that. And the reason is, is because they, that communicates the tension that they lived in. It communicates the tension that they lived in. It's like, I'm called this here, but I know I'm this in my heart. Because remember, the names that they were given originally, they were all God-centered names. Remember Daniel, what does Daniel's name mean? God is my judge. 
And so we see that all of their names were connected back to the God of Israel. But the goal of Babylon was this, that they would lose all memory of Israel and their God, and that they would start to place their trust in Nebuchadnezzar for everything. That was the temptation. I'm going to start to trust Nebuchadnezzar to take the place of my God. We're going to see it in chapter 3, where there's this shrine that's lifted up, and he's basically saying, you need to bow before this shrine. But, but all of that is because he wants them to place their trust in him. Now, one pastor, and this is kind of, you know, just some ideas but in kind of a paraphrase, but basically living in this pluralistic culture of Babylon, what was the goal for Nebuchadnezzar? He was trying to destroy the biblical worldview that they held. But not just them, the whole professional class, the elites, right? The, the, the smartest and brightest, because that's who Babylon took. They said, we're going to take the brightest, we're going to take the smartest, we're going to take all of the, the people that would have built up Jerusalem. We're going to take them, and they're going to start building Babylon. And so there's this tension there, and they're brought there, but the point was that Nebuchadnezzar was trying to dislodge them from the past, from where they came from, and start to build up this new empire. See, they were the ones who were going to become the intellectual elites, social elites, culturally, spiritually, religiously, Babylonian. That was the goal. See, we've already seen this in Daniel and his friends, that they were in the Babylonian world, but they were not of it. They were not of it because remember, what does it say? That Daniel resolved in his heart that he wasn't going to be like everyone else. Like we talked about last week, you have to make a personal decision to resolve to say, I'm not going to be like the culture that's all around me. I want to be shaped by God. So there has to be a resolve. But also, we see that in Daniel 1:17 that God gave him learning and skill in all literature and wisdom. See, they understood the culture that they were in. They, they didn't run from it, but they had discernment to not let it define them. See, Daniel learned the language, customs. He engaged his teachers, peers, mentors, people that were not believers of the same thing that he believed, and learned to be faithful in the midst of the pressure that was coming in on him, the incredible pressure. Now, recently, there was a study that was done that said, one out of every five teenagers, 4% have what is called a biblical worldview. 4% are shaped by a biblical worldview. How are we discerning the culture around us? See, because there is a need to be able to discern the culture and be in it and know it and be able to explain it to people, but also to say, you know what? I'm not of this. I'm a citizen of heaven. I'm of a different place. And so now look at the request in verse 5 and the response in verse 11. 
The king answered and said to the Chaldeans, the word from me is firm. If you do not make known to me the dream and its interpretation, you shall be torn limb from limb and your houses shall be laid in ruins. And then their response in verse 11, the thing that the king asks is difficult and no one can show it to the king except the gods whose dwelling is not with flesh. Daniel's living in the tension. He's discerned the culture around him, and now he's needing to step into this impossible situation. See, the thing I know and we see in Scripture about Daniel is that he was a youth. He was a youth being thrown into this situation. And I think this is a reminder to us to not look down on youth like we see in Scripture, but to raise up the youth, to raise up people. Think about what Daniel would have experienced back in Jerusalem. He would have experienced a community of people that were investing into him, pouring into him, helping him to discern the culture. Do you know what's happened within the church? The fabric of the church has gotten to a point where we tried to separate from one another, where we haven't leaned into hard questions, where we haven't leaned into doubts that people have. Here's the thing. If you lean into this right here, you will be offended. It will happen. You'll say, I, I don't want to believe that. I don't, I don't know if I believe that. And what it takes is resilience to keep leaning in even when you don't understand. And we can't be a church that is afraid to ask questions and to be uncomfortable sometimes with the answers that we get and say, you know what, I'm not going to change this, but maybe God's trying to change me. See, Daniel had to have a moment where he was resolved to say, that's what I need in my life. I need to be shaped by this. And it wasn't his parents anymore. It wasn't his, his uh, grandparents. It wasn't those in his community anymore. Now it's him to discern the culture. And he's put into this situation. See, what is this doing? As Daniel has discerned the culture, this is the moment where the difference between his God and the gods of Babylon will be put side by side. Is God real? Is God there? See, right now, I'm, I'm leaning into, even with my kids, my, my son, he, he's grown up in the church. But he told me, he's like, Dad, I'm, I'm struggling to understand this. I'm struggling to understand this stuff about God. It's hard for me to believe. I told him, I said, I, I, I've been there. See, we, we can't be afraid of that, but we got to lean in. And so Daniel is leaning in now and saying, okay, let's put it side by side. Is God real? Second, engage the moment, verses 12 through 16. Because of this, the king was angry and very furious and commanded that all the wise men of Babylon he be destroyed. So the decree went out. And the wise men uh, were about to be killed, and they sought Daniel and his companions to kill them. Then Daniel replied with prudence and discretion. He replied with wisdom, okay, to Arioch, 
the captain of the king's guard, who had gone out to kill the wise men of Babylon. He declared to Arioch, the king's captain, why is the decree of the king so urgent? When Arioch made the matter known to Daniel, and Daniel went in and requested the king to appoint him a time that he might show the interpretation to the king. Okay, so what happens next here? Well, Daniel is engaging the moment. And at first, it says that he replied with prudence and discretion. Prudence and discretion. Friends, we live in an information age that lacks wisdom. We know a lot, but we don't understand life. You see, what happens is we've been inundated with a lot of ideas, but we don't have the wisdom to discern what's going on around us. See, and as Daniel went in and talked with the king, basically before that, it says that he came with prudence, discretion, as he's talking to the captain's guard, and he's coming in respectfully to the king, just saying, can you appoint me a time that I might show you the interpretation? Do we believe that wisdom is important and how we approach people? You know, many times what happens is we, we get caught up in arguing. We get caught up in complaining. We get caught up in saying this isn't fair. And Daniel is thrown into a, a situation where from all that we can see, he was not in the room when the king made this decree. He wasn't there. He was not a part of that conversation. And so he doesn't know what's happening. And basically, his life is on the line for something that he wasn't even a part of. I wasn't there. And so now he's being put into this position where him and his friends are going to be killed, but it was based on the answer that was given by the Chaldeans. And what does Daniel do? Well, he comes in respectfully, honoring the king, but not bowing his knee to the king. See, Daniel knew this, that his only hope was in God. And so he risks his life. He goes into the king's throne room, which again, uh, could have got taken, he, he could have had his life taken right in that moment. And he, he says, I, I will attempt the impossible. Share the dream and interpret it. Now, engaging the moment took great faith in God. And ultimately, for who? Well, Daniel is stepping in to save those who don't believe in what he believes in, who don't share the same value systems as he holds. See, in this, in this, is where the power of God is displayed. See, sometimes we think that the power of God and stepping into these situations are just for us. It's just for my betterment. It's just for my good. But no, this is for the betterment and the good of those that he was surrounded by. See, we live in such an individualistic culture that says it's all about me, but the gospel tells us that it's not all about us. That that Jesus came to free us from this self-preoccupation. 
And so we see that Daniel is stepping in to this situation. And lastly, he waited upon God's response. God's response. Look at verses uh, 17 through 23. When Daniel went to his house and made matter known to Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, his companions, and told them to seek mercy from the God of heaven concerning this mystery, so that Daniel and his companions might not be destroyed with the rest of the wise men of Babylon, then the mystery was revealed to Daniel in a vision of the night. Then Daniel blessed the God of heaven. Daniel answered and said, Blessed be the name of God forever and ever, to whom belong wisdom and might. He changes times and seasons. He removes kings and sets up kings. He gives wisdom to the wise and knowledge to those who have understanding. He reveals deep and hidden things. He knows what is in the darkness, and the light dwells with him. To you, O God of my fathers, I give thanks and praise. For you have given me wisdom and might, and have now made known to me what we've asked of you. For you have made known to us the king's matter. Like we talked about earlier, many believe that Daniel took Jeremiah as a blueprint for seeking or for living uh, faithfully in the tension. And remember what it says in Jeremiah 29, verse 7. It said, but seek the welfare of the city where I've sent you into exile and pray to the Lord on its behalf. For in its welfare, you will find your welfare. God had directed Daniel already through the prophet Jeremiah on what to do. What did he call him to do? To pray. To pray. To call out to God. Who on behalf of the city, who's a part of the city? The Chaldeans, the magicians, the sorcerers, like all these people who you would say, oh, I don't want to even be around those people. Bad people, right? They don't have the same beliefs as me. No, Daniel's praying for them because God had directed them to. God's heart is for the city. God's heart is for people that aren't here yet. And so do we believe that? And waiting upon God's response. You see about Jeremiah 29, Timothy Keller says, this must have been absolutely astounding to the people who listened, this verse. This seems counterintuitive to what you'd think God would ever say. He says three times, that must uh, have just been astonishing to them. The first thing he, is he said, get a bigger picture for what I'm doing. This is a city to which I carried you. He says this to uh, the city to which I carried you. He is saying, it's part of my plan that you lost the cultural power. It's part of my plan that now you, as believers, have to live in a pagan, wicked city. It's part of my plan to renew you and to change you and to grow you. It's part of my plan to change them and to grow them and to renew them. It's part of my plan to get my word out into the world. Your loss of cultural power You now needing to live as believers in an unbelieving world is part of my plan. He says, I designed this. He says, move in there, get in there, don't stay away, big plan. I took away Christendom. I took away the cultural power. I disseminated you through the pagan cities of the world, he says. That's the first thing. 
Do you see how that works in our world today? When we think about the cross, what does that symbolize? Sacrifice. Jesus lost power so that he could bring something into your life that you don't currently have. See, it's at the cross that we already see this happen. And in this, this was not a wish for the past. It was a call to engage the present and to wait upon God's response. God's response on how that works out in our lives. And so where did he start? Through prayer. Through prayer. A guy named D. Duke said, almost everyone believes that prayer is important, but there is a difference between believing that prayer is important and believing it is essential. Essential means there are things that will not happen without prayer. Will not happen without prayer. This is a call to seek God. Friends, do you feel the tension that we live in today? It's easy to overlook it. It's easy to just say, well, it's not really there, but it is because I know that you face it at your workplace, your school, out in your community, neighborhood, wherever you are. There is a tension. And so how can we live faithfully today? Well, let me give you just a couple things. The first one is this, discern your surroundings. Discern your surroundings, right? As we discern the surroundings around us, we have to say, okay, there are things that I learn on a daily basis and I have to match it up and say, is that from scripture? Have I discerned that from what God says or is that just what the culture says around me? Again, Kinnaman and Matlock talk about this. They say, to be a resilient disciple does not mean just like protect yourself, but it means to prepare yourself to live on mission. Many times we just want to protect ourselves, but how are you preparing yourself? How are you growing? What are you doing? What are you, what are you reading? What are you listening to? Some questions to think about is, do I understand my relationship as a Christian to culture? Do I know how to reflect on and respond to culture? Do I understand my identity apart from culture? Am I driven by fear of culture in the world? Do I see how Jesus enters into culture to meet people? And specifically people that don't believe like me or aren't like me. Do we see God working in people's lives? Do I understand my role in representing Jesus in my context where God has placed me? See, all of these things are very practical things as you start to discern your surroundings and what's around you and and that God is working in you and through you. He has a plan for you. And so the first one is discern your surroundings. The second is decide who's greater. Decide who's greater. You know, all of us have to come to this point in our lives where we say, okay, do I actually believe this? Do I actually believe this? And for you to lean in and say, okay, as I'm wrestling with this, do I have people that I can talk with about this? Because 
to be resilient in your faith, to not give up, is going to take a deep level of resolve to say, I'm going to stick with this no matter what. And what you're going to find is that God is the one that's been holding you the whole time. That God is giving you the grace and lifting you up when you don't know. But to seek him and to ask those questions. Because you have to decide who's greater. What we find is that as Daniel resolved later, he has this, this, this joyous response. right? Because he, he knows who the king is. The king is Nebuchadnezzar. But he believes that there's a king above the king. That there's a Lord above the Lord. And that he personally finds this for himself. He experiences it in prayer. And so Daniel, after he gets the response from God, it says that, uh, Daniel says, blessed be the name of God forever and ever, to whom belong wisdom and might. He changes times and season. He removes kings and sets up kings. He lives, he, he gives wisdom to the wise and knowledge to those who have understanding. He reveals deep and hidden things. He knows what is in the darkness, and the light dwells with him. To you, O God of my fathers, I give thanks and praise, for you have given me wisdom and might and have now made known to me what we asked of you, for you have made known to us the king's matter. When you lean in like that, you'll find that God will respond. He'll, he'll, he'll be there. He'll help you. He'll guide you. He'll direct you. And in that, you'll find your own praise to praise him for, to praise him for what he can do. Friends, we're going to keep coming back to this again and again. But the life of Daniel ultimately points to the one that would come 600 years later. We see that Daniel lived during this time, but, but ultimately his life would point to another. And you're going to see that all through Scripture, and we'll see it in chapter 3. But here's the thing. Daniel faced the reality of death, and he prayed with his friends. But do you remember when Jesus faced death? And he asked his friends to pray with him. Matthew 26, 38 through 40 says this. Then he said to them, my soul is very sorrowful, even to death. Remain here and watch with me. And going a little further, he fell on his face and prayed, saying, my father, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. And he came to his disciples and found them sleeping. Daniel prays with his friends. They're praying. Jesus prays with his friends. They're sleeping. Can you relate to Jesus' friends? I can. See, ultimately, Daniel escaped death through hearing God's answer. God supernaturally gives him the ability to know the dream and interpret the vision. We're going to talk about it next week. He gets this answer from God. But think about this. Jesus, while facing death, 
in our place, comes to God the Father and prays and says, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. And he receives the Father's silence. Friends, Jesus Christ is the better Daniel. Because when Daniel received the answers and was able to live faithfully for God, and we see it all through here, we know that Daniel was not a perfect man. He's a person just like you and me. But when we look at Jesus Christ, we see the perfect Son of God come, praying, his friends failing all around him, but him being resilient to the end, living in the tension. He lived in the tension of being God in the flesh, but yet looked upon as worthless to this world. If you don't believe that, read Isaiah 53. It tells us exactly what the world thought of him. And in that, Jesus doesn't receive the answer. It's because he is the answer. He is the answer. And so today, as you're struggling in the midst of the tension, you're saying, okay, God, I don't know what to do. I don't know how to live in this. Can I point you to the answer being Jesus and starting there and living there and living in that? And then let, letting that shape your life. And we just stay focused on Christ and what he can do through us. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you that ultimately it was you who lived in the tension but got the worst. You, received, you were faithful to the very end, yet you received the worst. And we see the life of Daniel and how Daniel lived. And by your grace, he lived faithfully. It says that you gave him favor, Lord, and grace. But that ultimately, as he lived in the tension, it was you that was upholding him. And we need that, Lord. We need you to uphold us. And so, Lord, in our hearts, may we pray to you. May we seek you. May we look for you, Lord, and know that you have not left us, but you are right beside us. Thank you for your grace and your mercy. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this resource from Grace City Church. If you found this helpful, feel free to share it and enjoy more resources at gracecitysd.com. Grace City Church exists to equip people with the gospel for everyday life.